Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. squad and welcome to Ranks FC. This is your favourite football podcast back for another week and after the news that Lionel Messi has won his seventh Ballon d'Or in stark contradiction to what Sam Tyre wanted to happen on last week's episode, we have a new episode for you and we are going to completely ignore basically everything that's happening in the main world of football uh, to talk about the Players who have had a significant tactical change this season that makes things a little bit interesting. I'm excited. It's Sam's niche ranking and to do that is the rank of Mr. Sam Tide. Hello, mate. Yes, uh, sad for Robert, my pal Robert. He's been robbed once again, but Messi had it right on the podium. Everyone knows that he deserves a Ballon d'Or for his 2020 efforts. And I guess if he's just going to lose it, uh, at least it's to the best player in the world and not someone like Jorginho. <laughs> well, look, robbed is in his name, right? That robbed yeah, his name. Exactly. I know you're, you're fuming as well. Our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. I am, mate. Hello. Um, yeah, not happy with that outcome at all. There's no need this year to be giving that to Messi. Like... I can barely remember him stringing five good games together. Oh, um, shut up. Come on. No, that's the exaggeration. As- but by Messi's, by Messi's standards, this isn't close to what we've seen before. By uh, Lewandowski's standards, not only was he brilliant in 2020, he's, <laughs> ca- he's, going so, like, he's continued it in 2021. He's still scoring bundles of goals. Um, and people are just voting for Messi out of habit at this point, And it's really annoying. So no, uh, I feel sorry new, for him a lot. They created a new award for Lewandowski so that he could win something else, which was bizarre. Right, that, was, that was a that. moment. That was awkward and weird. Um, I didn't enjoy it very much. But I will say this, and I said it last week on the pod, so this isn't news to anyone. But uh, obviously... Messi took Argentina to a Copa America. And for me, for me, that's enough. Um, but I am an internationalist and and everybody knows so. But let's let's start with some things we love, shall we? Let's move the move the vibe upwards. Let's move it into positivity. Dean, what you got? So if Harry Kane would have won the Euros for England, would he have got Ballon d'Or? Hang on, hang on. Uh, <laughs> this Harry is not the Kane conversation. Got rated. Harry, Harry Kane got put above Barella in yeah. uh, in in the ratings, and I was livid, like actually genuinely livid. Um, Harry Kane's had the worst calendar year that he's ever had in his life. So has Messi, probably. <laughs> <laughs> No, but like yeah. this is this isn't even. He might have. It might actually be. Yeah, but like when Messi was five, he was still banging in goals. This is worse than when Harry Kane was playing for Arsenal. Like he, he was terrible. Him, Mason Mount in front of Barella. Is everybody high? Um, but alas, we move on. I'm going to talk about another rail because um, the thing I loved was was Keane versus Carragher. Maybe that's what I'm trying to recreate here. <laughs> Look, I know that Sky, like obviously, that they've got Roy Keane in for a reason as a pundit, and it's because they want to go viral every single week um, with their output. And there's no doubt about it that Keane versus Carragher after Chelsea Man United at the weekend absolutely did that I mean this was this was great this is just brilliant to watch these two go at each other all starts because Dave Jones the host he's puts good Roy at this King. by the way he's so Who? good at this Dave Jones he oh, loves he's an absolute he loves master. winding them up to the point where they just go at each other he literally just sits back and goes <laughs> Yeah, so does Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank set between oh, them oh yeah um, that's another question <laughs> and uh, yeah so Roy King's asked like would you start Ronaldo 
says, you have to. You know, Ronaldo isn't someone you bring off the bench. He was probably freezing sat there. Uh, what's, what's Carrick doing? Give him a high five. It's, it's ridiculous. Just let him get on with getting down the tunnel and let him be upset because Ronaldo has to be in your starting 11. So then Carragher, you know, he's asked the similar thing, you know, can Rangnick afford to, to treat Ronaldo like this when he comes in? And so Carragher hits back saying that Ronaldo, the idea of him starting every single game is... It isn't right and he thinks that it's understandable that Carrick doesn't start him away at Chelsea um, because Ronaldo's not the player he was and blah 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 and Keane's not happy about that and then they start debating pressing and the style of play and why why Ronaldo should have this right anyway it carries on and then Carragher then goes back again and starts saying, you know, so why did Man United sign Ronaldo? They only signed him because they were terrified he was going to Man City Correct. and you know, this is the only reason he's here. And then and then Roy Keane chimes back, but like hitting back again is about the same thing. Like, But he wasn't going to go to City and since come to Man United and sit on the bench. Like if Man United was signing because of that reason, they were going to play him. Like Man United are trying to get back to a time now where they're trying to win things. And that's what he's here for. Um, you know, his stat, he brings up the stats. He said, you know, everything in this world is driven by stats now. His stats are good. And Kara goes, well, goal scoring wise, yeah. Kara, King's like, well, what other stat do you want him to be good at? Like that's the stat that counts the most in football. Anyway, obviously carries on and on and, they might as well have just had a fight at the end because no one was ever going to actually win this because Keane was clearly saying, look, Ronaldo has come back here to lift the club and win trophies. Carragher's saying, no, he was brought back here because uh, City were going to join him and he was brought back here, surely, to get Man United winning the league. And Keane's like, no, not to win the league. Man United were never going to win the league. It's to win trophies. And he goes on and on and it should have just ended with one punch each straight to the face <laughs> to, see you, to see you ended up on the floor. Carragher wouldn't have got up. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't. I don't know who won the argument. Um, I've seen a few people. Sometimes, do they? I've seen a few people suggesting Carragher possibly, but I think Keane just didn't see it as an argument. He was like, "No, there's no arguments we had here. Like, he hasn't come back to win the league. He's come back to play football and to just help Man United get back to a better place." He said, "I don't agree with it." Man United shouldn't be a team that are just winning the FA Cup. By the way, I think that's what done it for Carragher. As soon as he said he's come back to try and win things like the FA Cup, I think Carragher smelt blood there. It's like Man United are just trying to win the FA Cup. But then Keane got his own base. Like, well, that's all you used to do, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was a good, good we, didn't start, we didn't put a man on 500,000 pounds a week. Um, but I yeah. imagine would have been good. But it's fun, isn't it? Like, this Liverpool Man United thing is just never going to die. Great These two fun, could, isn't it? They're going to carry fun. on for like the next 30 years on this show, just going at each other oh man good microcosm of Twitter this really good yeah, it was like, yeah, like Twitter wasn't it it was a lot like Twitter but in real life and Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was absolutely loving it just sat in the middle eyes wide smirk on his face hands crossed just going hey this is really funny I'm so pleased to be in the middle of this um, it was good fun <laughs> I generally don't like Keane's punditry uh, I think he mostly just grumbles and rumbles and, 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 and criticises without offering any form of solution or analysis or anything he just goes that's not good enough or that's not good or that was rubbish and I don't like that I think it's a bit shallow but when you can wind him up and you and you get Carragher involved in this kind of thing it is it is quite funny I and think anything you have that to reminds appreciate you of an argument on Twitter is is good fun yeah I think you appreciate his personality and for people that like I mean I've obviously followed Keane for his whole career and stuff and and things like that but for people who don't know a lot like watch the overlap with Gary Neville on YouTube and watch his one with Roy Keane because you'll get an insight into who he really is and like why he's the way he is and you'll see his personality come through a little more uh, it's just the way he is he's just a bit miserable but 
he's still a good guy, you know. Yeah. Some, somewhere, somewhere down there, he's a good, the, nice guy. The fifty questions thing with Roy Keane is absolutely. It's very good. It's really, good. really good. I'm still not quite forgiving him for walking out on Ireland in 2002, but you know, we uh, yeah. we all have our problems. Fair enough. We all yeah. have our problems, but you know what? He's a contrary character, and he's a uh, he's good value on television. So yeah, uh, and I imagine he's a great bloke to have a pint with, and uh, that's all I'll say for, for Roy absolutely. Keane. Right, Sam, what's your thing we love? Yeah, surprised that Dean's picked something out that happened on in the Premier League on Sunday, um, and it wasn't it wasn't this. It was the fact that Leicester Watford was played in a blizzard, and snow football is absolutely the best form of football available. It's so much fun. It's so exciting. It is we don't get the ball. Well, we couldn't see the ball in this one either because the Premier League's winter ball is <laughs> snow coloured. <laughs> <laughs> it was really difficult to see, but I mean, maybe it was a bit easier in real life in the stands, but from, from the TV, from my screen, it was very difficult to figure out where the ball was. It was like watching a live pass map being drawn as the ball trekked through the snow and lines were being drawn, but it was mostly just absolute carnage. I mean, there were six goals between Leicester and Watford. It was all lumped direct football. It really suited Jamie Vardy. It really suited James Madison. It did not suit Watford's defence at all, having to come up against that. But it just made it, it just, it was a great leveller. And you got the impression that as the blizzard got worse, whoever was in the lead at half time would just win the game almost by default because the second half was a total lottery. No one could control the ball, no one could turn. No one could really pass or shoot or anything. It was really, really weird. It was very old school. It was very rubbish, but very great. And snow football is just the great leveller of our time. And it's always so much fun to see a load of people just mucking around in that and just trying to do their best because they're used to playing on the most perfect surfaces with the most perfect boots, with everything engineered to make them look fabulous. And then a bit of frozen water comes down from the sky and they look like you and me. And it's hilarious. <laughs> it's God, I used job. to hate the snow. I used to hate playing in the snow. Of course you did. <laughs> oh my goodness. You are a fair weather little thing. Don't even well, know. Absolutely. <laughs> um, right, I'm going to take us out of England forever, uh, as usual. Um, and I want to go to Naples. Uh, and n- not only was the Napoli game absolutely beautiful in the fact that they unveiled the Maradona statue and it felt like a a real moment. But I want to talk about Dries Merton's two goals. Now, there were plenty of people, including you and I, Sam, who were a bit, well, I would say reticent to suggest that Dries Merton's was the answer when Victor Osserman got injured, mostly because we were like, he can't go over the top. He's not going to be able to do the the stretching that Osserman has done on defences. Um, and we looked at it and went, not sure. Well, Truce Merton shut us up um, and fair play to him, which is something you always enjoy, I think. Uh, you go, okay, fair enough. We forgot, I think, a little bit that Dries Mertens is one of the greatest finishers that football has ever seen. And he proved his class again. The second goal, um, which we talked about a little bit uh, on Monday's post box, was a beautiful Hakim Ziyech sweep. Um, mm. It was across his body. He absolutely lived. I mean, Ziyech has done that for years, but you don't necessarily expect anyone else to do this. I love goals that curl in the wrong way. Anything that curls in the wrong way is a, yeah. is, is a stunner, right? Yeah. But I actually think the Merton's first goal was better. He gets set up by Insigne and they were saying, oh, it's the old guard. It's Sarri's old guard coming back to haunt him, right? And this ball comes in, and but Merton's has a lot to do and he stops, he shifts, he shifts again, he shifts again and then he curls on into the corner. And I just 
think that it was a real reminder. Jesus Mertens just going, yeah, I know I've been injured, but I am unbelievably good at football and I am continuing to be unbelievably good at football. And it was so beautiful to see it, especially when lots of people had written him off, including ourselves. I put my hands up and say, not written him off, but said that maybe he wasn't the answer to what Napoli were doing right now. Um, he answered those critics fundamentally. And on a, an, a night that was dedicated to Diego, he scored two goals. The Diego Maradona would have been very, very proud of himself. And, and, and you know, that, that, that touched my heartstrings. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, we didn't write him off. We were just like, you know, not sure yeah, he, could, right. he could play the same role. But hey, if they adapt the system and play Dries Merton's way, even at 35 post-injuries, Christ, he can make the difference as we've seen. So maybe this is the... The tactical evolution of Napoli mid-season forced. The Spalletti, the Spalletti <laughs> gene. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's get on to our main ranking. Sam, I'm excited to hear about this one. We will see you after the break. Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast, where it's time for our big rank this week. Sam, tie the floor is very much yours. Yeah, you guys have allowed me to indulge this week, which is always a dangerous game to play, but here we are. Uh, And I've decided to pick out some interesting players who are playing some interesting roles in football. It's a little bit niche. It's a little bit me. It's a little bit Jack. It might be a bit less of Dean, but I'm sure Dean can try and bring each point to the I'll just take it as an education, mate. I'll I'll, I'll learn today. (laughs) It brings some salient points to the table. We know that. I'm basically a listener at this point. I think the point here is that like a lot of football is quite highly defined and quite normalized. Like wingers do certain things, midfielders do certain things, or we confine them to like classifications and roles. And you're not that surprised by a lot of what happens on a football pitch at the moment tactically. But there are some players who stand out, some managers who different th- do different things. And there are some rogues, there are some players that buck the trends. And I've picked out five of those. They're not, they're not all groundbreaking tactical discoveries. They're just different. And they're just different from their peers in 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 different ways, and and we'll go through them. I'll start with number five, and I'll start with a big hitter, a big name, uh, one that everyone will recognise, and it's Leroy Sané, who is ah oh, okay, uh, you, you, yeah, you, yeah. We know, <laughs> I'm we know, good here. I'm good here. <laughs> We're good. We know Sané. We know Sané. I was scared, he, but I'm okay. I was scared. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a soft introduction, Dino. Okay, um, thank you. He is a left-footed winger playing on the left-hand side. Now. It seems pretty obvious, right? But maybe not anymore. And yeah, we have lots of evidence to say that Leroy Sané is this player. He did several years of it in the Premier League. Bayern Munich have benefited greatly from this over the last couple of months. But there was a period of about 14 to 15 months, not that long ago, where he barely played on the left wing at all. He basically wasn't allowed to do it. He spent most of last season at Bayern on the right wing. He was really poor for a lot of it. And I remember the PSG game in the Champions League where he was really, really bad. That was the game where Lewandowski was injured and they really needed someone to step up and finish their chances and make good decisions. And he provided neither of those traits. And then he played a bit of right wing in the Euros. He was rubbish. Opening game this season, Gladbach, right wing, not good. Second game of the season against Köln, playing like right mid-ish or something like that. And he, I think he got withdrawn at half time. He was rubbish. And then, yeah. you know, it, it, kind of, it kind of looked like things were just going to go from bad to worse for Leroy Sané about two months ago. And then this first international break rolls around. And Hansi Flick, who, for clarity, was complicit in the let's just play Leroy Sané on the right for 14 months because he was his manager for 12 of them, <laughs> um, pops him on the left for Germany. And all of a sudden, he's back up and running. So Nagelsmann follows suit. And the brilliance 
has just been unending, hasn't it? Four goals, four assists in five Champions League games. Four goals, four assists in 11 Bundesliga starts. This is a hell of an improvement. And I think we really can just say with absolute clarity and assurance, this guy is not an inverted winger and he'll never be one. Now, most wingers in this game right now are. And you reel off a list of the top names in the game. Mane, Salah, Vinicius Jr. is now in there. Neymar, Grealish, Rafinha. So there's players from left and right there. They're all inverted. They all want to cut in and take the Aryan Robin track. Cut in and go. They all want to play at a certain angle. They all want to shoot from a certain angle. Sané just isn't the same. He wants to play wide. He wants to play on the strong side. He wants to receive the ball in a certain way, which is different to almost everyone else. And even being left-footed on the left side, he's able to create these angles to shoot and pass in a way that so many just cannot do. Now, the list of inverted wingers is is a, it's really long in this game. At the top level, it's really long. Almost everybody is. The list of strong-sided wingers, natural-sided wingers, is really short. Sané is at the top of it. Sterling sometimes plays there. Chiesa plays right mid, but it's in a 4-4-2, so it's, it's slightly different. And really, the big takeaway here is that Leroy Sané should have played in the 90s. He's a 90s kid playing 2010s, 2020s football, and it hasn't really suited him for quite a lot of this period. But now that we're back to what we know about Leroy Sané, he's looking good again. I just yeah. can't get over you. You've just said he's a 90s kid. Well, like, he kind of is. Like, you're basically like, this is red light, say 90s baby. Well, you like <laughs> took the word out. Going, like, it was where I was going to go with it, really. It was like, these players existed everywhere like 20 years ago. And, you know, it's, it's all part of how football's evolved and it's, it's partly Guardiola's fault for the way that he's transformed football for the, like <laughs> what, what, you're in, what you're now expected from, from a wide player. It's like a lot of them aren't even wide anymore and they obviously rotate across the three positions and they play inverted and false nines, false wingers, whatever you want to call them these days. Like oh, they're not what they used to be. Central wingers. He calls them central <laughs> wingers now. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, people like Ryan Giggs, they did this for... 20 years they played out on the left and they got out there and they beat people and they either crossed it passed it or had a shot and that was it and it was was brilliant at it and there was loads of other players like it as well and yeah Sana you're right he would have been brilliant back then and sometimes you know what football can be overcomplicated and especially when someone like Leroy Sané who is clearly super talented and we know what he's good at when he's struggling like he was last season, like genuinely, I didn't know what was going to happen with his career at one point. Like it was that bad for him after that transfer. They've just gone back to basics with him. And that's that's what you have to do in these situations. And it, and it just goes to show like sometimes, you know, football is as simple as that, isn't it? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Like it, it's really interesting to see what people do when they, and also like obviously football comes in cycles, right? And so you go through these cycles where everyone's an inverted winger, right? And uh, and you move through that. And actually, I don't think, Dean, it's Pep Guardiola's fault. I think Roy Hodgson inverted, uh, started this when it was uh, <laughs> Damien Duff played uh, <laughs> off the right at Fulham, actually. Well, uh, like Pep actually to, uh, played Leroy Sané in his best position for two years, so we can't blame him for that one. But that's true, Pep actually. Is, yeah, yeah. Pep, has, Pep has done something. It's all Roy Hodgson's uh, fault, this. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, absolutely. That. And, and you see the cycles come back round where you have inverted wingers and then obviously people are going to be like, mm, how can I get outside a fullback now? How can I how can I make things interesting again? And people will go back to being traditional. And then in 15 years, we'll see people going all the way back to being uh, inverted again. So, yeah. Well, it's the know, fullbacks it's, that do that these days, isn't it? Like that's what it's become. It's become a fullback's job to get down there. Yeah. yeah like, and Bain's back at underlapping again very shortly. So that's yeah. good. 
<laughs> and Rai Sabu's a fool. Okay, we'll get a little bit weirder, but still a, a, a relatively household name, I'd say, if you watch Champions League and La Liga football. It's Fernando, who has been around forever. Uh, plays for Sevilla and has held down a spot in that team in the first 11 for two to three years now since signing. I think he went off to Turkey for a bit and obviously everyone just assumes that once you've gone to Turkey, that's it. But then he came back into Europe's top five leagues and he's looking really good. And he's a really good example of something that I think we don't do enough of in football. He's a really good example of a way a midfielder can drop in to the defensive line in more than one way. Because when you think about a midfielder dropping in and helping build play, immediately in your head, you imagine this sequence of the holding midfielder dropping in between the centre-backs. Centre-backs split out a little bit, go wider. The midfielder drops in and it allows you to go from a 4-3-3 to a 3-4-3 quite fluidly. And there's loads of examples of teams doing that. Um, the really weird immediate example that springs to mind is Shakhtar Donetsk when Fernandinho and Willian played for them. They were so good at doing this. But a midfielder doesn't have to go between the centre-backs. Like it's not an absolute requirement. It's not in the contract that that's how you build play. And Fernando does a really good job of just dropping into different areas. He goes left of the left centre-back. He goes right of the right centre-back. He tries three or four different spots. He does it in the same game. He moves around. He pulls the opposition into different areas and he creates different passing lanes for his team. So Sevilla's build-up is quite slow at points, but never truly the same from every 10-minute period. And I like this. I like the fact that he's just willing to like go left or go right and not just drop into the middle, create the circuit, do the pattern of play and then carry on. Like he's just he just does a little bit different a few different things. A couple of years ago when he had Regulon playing left back, he would drop into the left pocket, Regulon would go flying up and he'd probably try and find him with the ball. But then also it was really important that Fernando was sat in that channel because if they lost the ball, Regulon is like 40 metres away from the ball. Like it's as much a possession structure thing as a, a defensive thing as well. It's about, it's about I think they call it rest defence, but it's about being in a position to snuff out your counter-attack. And Fernando right now in the Champions League and for Sevilla is just a good example of like how to vary your movements and do something other than what everyone expects you to do. And there have been other examples too, like Frankie did this for Ajax. Um, he went he went left quite a lot, but he doesn't do it so much for, for Barcelona. And to be honest, Eva Benega used to go from the number 10 position all the way to behind his centre-backs at times just to try and get on the ball, which was a bit much for everyone's liking, to be honest with you. But Fernando here... Eva Benega is, is, could do what he wanted. <laughs> yeah, Fernando's a nice medium here where it's like, it's structurally disciplined, but it's not the same. And it teaches us or tells us or reminds us that you don't have to build play in one specific way. You don't have to go between the centre-backs. But does he do it to release the full-backs on the side that he drops into or not? Is it, is it unrelated to yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, it's related to that, but also it allows, um, it creates a channel for the number eight to drop into the side and then maybe carry the ball through. It gives you all sorts of different variations. It brings the, whichever central midfielder is playing on that side, it brings him to life. It brings the full-back to life. And it, and it covers the gap in case it goes wrong. Yeah. I mean, also, like, I guess there's zonal defending in in, in midfields now as well. Like, the way that, that the teams have to set up, they, they'll, you know, you don't see many teams go man for man either. And I guess that that could come into it as well. Is it is it, is it just to collect the ball or is it is it partly because of that? Oh, you've got to be, you've got to have players in the right positions to cover, to, to recover the ball if you lose it. Like, the yeah. beauty of, a, like, a Tuchel or a Pep structure is all of the players are in the right positions to impact on the ball. But if you were to lose the ball at any one moment, all of the players are also in the correct position to recover the ball. 
Yeah. And that's why we talk about Fernandinho being so important. And then latterly, Rodri is so important because they're smart enough to pick up these positions. But it's all structured. It's all it's all choreographed in that sense. And having a midfielder like Fernando to drop into those pockets, it will help you offensively and defensively. Because if you try and pump it up to Regulon, miss the ball, and then the ball's coming back, you are in so much danger if he's not in that channel covering it. Because otherwise, you've got a centre-back at left-back and a massive hole mm. in the middle. It's also one of those things where obviously Reguilón has has left and now plays for Spurs. They brought in Marcus Cunha to basically cover that gap, right? Where Reguilón used to be. And if anything, he's more offensive. Like <laughs> yes. The man wears eight on his back for Argentina. He won nine on his back for Sporting Club de Portugal. Like, you know, we are, we're talking about a player who fancies himself as a centre forward, if not a, a left winger, right? Mm. Um, and wanted to be part of, part of the offensive unit. So, I mean, he has a massive task on his hands here, Fernando, actually fitting into the, the system and allowing the players around him to continue like to go forward. And, and look, it's Montiel on the other side, or it's Jesus Navas, who is a winger converted to a right back. He is very much a, a player who holds the whole structure integrity of this Sevilla side together because he's able to spot what's going on and uh, and and therefore drop into it, which is a, a massive kind of, uh, well, it, it's a huge compliment, right? That he is the person that holds everything that they're doing together in so many ways. Um, but also, like, you have to be so intelligent as a footballer to play that role. And and he is so, so good at it. Yeah, it's a big compliment. It is. It's, um, it's hard to find players like this and they're not very flashy. It's it's that conversation we always have, like, who can we trust at the base of our midfield? And the, the, the shortlist is just, it's so short. Um, it's and Fernando now at, at age, what, 34-ish or 35, he's not going to be at the top of anyone's list. He's, he's playing out his career at Sevilla and then we'll see what happens. But... Yeah, there needs to be more Fernandos in this game. It's important because uh, if the Sevilla fans were clever here, they'd uh, rewrite Cotton Eye Joe for him. They, you know, <laughs> go left, go left, go stick in the eye, go right, go right, go left. Uh, because that is literally <laughs> what he does. And also, Fernando works with the uh, the structural integrity of that song. So, uh, <laughs> well, that's the most imp- that's the most important thing, isn't it? Well, there you go. Absolutely. Look, we're, we're doing the, the Lord's work here. We are we rewriting are. songs and talking about footballers who are playing different <laughs> positions. So it's very, very important. Sam, who's at three? So at three, I'm going to go for Florian Grilich of Hoffenheim. And I'm mildly obsessed with this player. And I've just I've kind of chucked him in because he's a bit different. He's a bit rogue, um, but mostly because I just like him. His passing range is so good. It is absolutely absurd. He's got a good defensive skill set for what you would basically consider to be a holding midfielder. He's relatively mobile. He's not that physical. He's not that strong. What he is, is a glorious passer. He's so at ease on the ball in those deeper areas. And he does actually genuinely occupy those more central areas. So where where Fernando goes left or right, Grudich will drop in and try to use those areas. And he fires off these brilliant 30, 40, 50 yard switch passes. He finds runners. He switches the point of emphasis. And he also pirouettes around on the ball to set himself before he passes. It's just so majestic to watch. It's absolutely incredible. Now, anyone who manages Grilich is playing a very simple game. And that game is, we need to get loads of runners to go in behind. 
and we need to get loads of players to, to maintain the width of the pitch and stay really, really wide. So we're talking about like how Pep Guardiola stretches the pitch with someone like Sané and Sterling and how Xavi is trying to do the same and try and maintain the width of the pitch. Just stand on the touchline and wait for Grilich to pass you the ball. It's really not that hard. Just run in behind and wait for Grilich to find you. Again, football is quite simple sometimes and you just kind of let him go to work. It's just the system is built around him. Now, the reason I put him in is because his role changes on a game-to-game basis in terms of which position he plays, which is a bit weird. It's weird to watch someone who so fluidly moves between the holding midfield position, the deep line playmaker, and sitting at the mid- in the middle of a back three. Now, I don't just mean him sort of fluctuating mid-game. I mean, some games he plays 90 minutes as a centre-back in the middle, and sometimes he plays 90 minutes as a holding midfielder. And I assume it's because they're just trying to get him the space to pass the ball. And when he plays in the centre, he actually does play in the middle as well. So where most teams would probably put their big smasher of a centre-back. And in my mind here, I'm thinking Martin Skirtle, middle of, a, middle of a back three. He is not really that player at all. He is completely different. And yet they, they drop him into the middle. And I'd probably draw a comparison to maybe someone like Tan Coke Miners. Yeah, your first like statement about him, I was like, is he, you know, your poor man's Coke Miners? Poor man's, no. <laughs> Don't be disrespectful to Florian Grilich. But yes, he's a bit like Tony. <laughs> yeah, you're, sp- you're spot on. He's a bit like Tony. He's a bit like Tony. Miners. He can play centre back. He can play holding mid. He's got a wonderful right boot, whereas Coke Miners is the left, and he and he spreads it around. But dropping in and out of those positions and playing either centre back or or centre mid, depending on what the manager wants to do for the game plan, it's it's actually quite incredible to watch. And Grilich is a really really good player that at about 25 years of age now. No disrespect to Hoffenheim, cannot be long for that club. Like say, he's, re- is, he's really is good. Is thing a step up? I hope so. Dean? Yeah, so I mean, I mean I've barely seen the bloke play, so I, I can't tell you anything about like Sam has, but Newcastle love him. Um, Newcastle have been tra- tracking him for months. I mean, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. Um, so in January, he can be he can be got for almost nothing. Um, so there's definitely a few teams sniffing around there now. You know, whether he wants to go to Newcastle and be in a relegation battle and adjust Play to the, the Premier League next year, yeah, that that that's what we've seen. But you know, Roma and AC Milan have have both been uh, linked pretty heavily with him as well. So um, I would suggest that if he had the choice out of those three clubs, he might not be dreaming of going to the tune right now. But obviously, you know, there is this promise of like a great future at Newcastle. But it at the moment, you've just got to look at the dream because there's no evidence to back it up at the moment and that's a gamble for for anyone in this next transfer window so I'd be surprised if he took it but um, they are definitely um, fluttering their eyelashes at him on a (laughs) weekly basis at the moment (laughs) he sounds like a beautiful Sandro Tonali rotator yeah I think I'm not surprised that Serie A clubs like the look of him after watching the step that Cope Miners has taken um, and the it fact that minute, he will want it? it took like a, it took a, a couple of days. Well, it took him three to, months to, to seal the move, mate. That is true. But I told yeah. you it was done in. Uh, I told you it was done in May, and no one believed me. Well, because it wasn't. Um, but a Grilich obviously wants he wants a little bit more time on the ball. He wants to be able to pick his head up. So going to a league like Serie A would really suit him. He's got the defensive chops that I think would mean Mourinho quite likes him, and I'm not surprised. AC Milan like him because data wise this guy pops out in so many different areas and obviously they 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 use data very heavily in their recruitment so yeah I mean six months to go we'll see um, yeah so 
He's not going to be at Hoffenheim for much longer, is he? But he doesn't need to take a risk like Newcastle in January. He can he can hang on and he can go and play. Mm. He can go play Champions League football. He has played Champions League yeah. football with Hoffenheim. Yeah, well, he um yeah he, he might fancy the championship. He might fancy it. It's uh there's a lot of time and space on the board. John McHale's series obviously having a renaissance at Fulham, so um maybe he just fancies being that guy in the, in the championship <laughs> for a little while longer. Um, who's it who's Right. So this is Burak Yilmaz of Lille, and Lovely I just man. find Big I fan. find Yil, I just find Yilmaz to be really strange <laughs> as a player I really do because he doesn't fit into any of the kind of broader categories of strikers that, that we tend to group together and for the record those are I'd say the facilitators who you're sort of like your Kane your Benzema your Lewandowski give them the ball to feet and let them create as well as score and move around you've got your on your shoulder threats like a Jamie Vardy a Victor Ozzyman then you've got your kind of like second strikers the guys between the lines half creator half scorer so like Griezmann Dybala Lautaro Martinez and then the the breed that we talk about quite a lot the sort of half target man half runner it's the Calvert-Lewin Tammy Abraham uh, Alexander Isak kind of mobile target man the guy They're who can all run about behind nines right yeah yeah absolutely and then there's Burak Yilmaz who before before we get to uh before we get to his actual, well, I think what he wants his own position to be, his backstory, in case you don't know it, is fascinating. He played 14 years in Turkey from 2002 to 2016. The whole time he put up great goal scoring numbers and the whole time the conversation was, can he go and do it in a European top five league? Can he go and transfer this goal production from Turkey, where to be fair, Cenk Tosun scored about 20 goals a season, to a proper league where the defences are really good? And you know what? It seemed like for the for fourteen years he just wasn't really interested in, in entertaining those questions. He was just yeah, like, was "No, nah, I'm good." He was here. quite happy where he was. I'm good, mate. I'm good. Thanks very much. No, I'm good. But then he got to 2016, and he did indeed leave Turkey for China, and he went and did one year with Beijing Guan, killed it, and then returned to Turkey for three more years. So that's 17 <laughs> years in Turkey and one year in China. That's an 18 year career as a striker and never once did he step into Europe's top five leagues. At this point, we've all abandoned hope that he would ever go and test himself at the top level. And then in 2020, age 35, he goes, you know what, I'm going to sign for Lille. And just appears out of nowhere in Europe's top five leagues. He scored 16 league goals and he led them to the title. <laughs> I mean, it's what a unbelievable. Guy. What a guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe he just didn't feel ready for it until then. <laughs> <laughs> it was all part of the plan. I'm not doing this until I know I'll win the league. Yeah. Oh my. Oh well, Yeah. We chose a. We chose a random one because all places he'd be like, "Oh, I'll, uh, I'll just go and yeah. like that, destroy PSG's dominance, and then I'll leave again." Yeah. Unbelievable. Anyway, I find, the reason I put him in here, I find him to be a really contradictory player. He's a wonderful contradiction at that. But like, you look at him, he's very grizzled forward is a grizzled older 36 year old what looks like a target man he's like 6'2 he's built like a target man he looks mean he looks like he wants to bully centre backs he wants to tussle for aerials and he can do this but really I think he's much more of a free spirit than that and I actually think that he's sort of if he was coming through an academy now he would actually want to be a wide forward because all he ever does for Lil is just run wide collect the ball and then run down the line and then cut inside he doesn't actually play as a target man. That's not what he wants to mm. do. He starts in the middle and then he calls for the ball and points to the left, runs 20 yards to the left of the sideline, collects it, tries to dribble. It's not very fast. It's 36. I don't think he cares. Like, it's just Burak Yilmaz's world and we are living in it. So he takes the ball, runs down the line. He, 
half the time he's on the byline cutting the ball back. He's a target man, right? And <laughs> half the time he's cutting in and shooting from these Iron Robin angles we were talking about earlier. I just don't think he cares about like conventional roles. He just does what he wants to do. He's got to 36. He's won a title. He goes, right, that's it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a wide forward. He plays like killing Mbappe, but obviously nowhere near as dynamic, fast, good. Like he's a very good player, but he's just, I think he's just like really like fed up of conforming to the norm and it's just gone. It's the, beauty older, mate. it's the beauty of getting older. I tell you to this all the time. Great getting old. Can I Do ask you a question, Sam? Is it, mm. is he going to be worse because of this trait? Would he be better as a traditional target man? Uh, I love Burak Yilmaz the same way that like a lot of people do in that obviously that Lille victory last season was so glorious and everyone had such a great time watching Lille, right? And then suddenly you're like, oh, okay, this year they're not very good. And then, um, and you know, you're watching them again. Would you just be better if they just stuck balls on your head in the middle, big man? Maybe, yeah, maybe. I mean, he is a magnet for balls in the box and stuff, and he is good in the air. And he does, he does get a lot of shots off. That's 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 for sure. He does get into good positions. I think he's just the kind of striker who you can he can put the team on his back, and he's willing to do that. And and whether he does that, you know, borrowing through the middle, or whether he does that splitting off to the left and, and having an impact there, it doesn't really matter. He still has an impact. He's just like he's just he's just tried. He's decided to ignore tactical uh, norms now. The good thing is for Lille is that they have a player in Jonathan David who is able to hold the middle and able to run that kind of 18-yard width and able to create a presence for Lille in the middle, which means that when Yilmaz disappears off to the left, they're not just completely lacking in the box. Jonathan David is there and he's scored a lot of goals this season. And they've got some really intelligent and talented wingers like Jonathan Bomber and Jonathan Okone, who are able to fill in the spots and kind of interpret it. And they share the goals around quite a lot. And I think it's mostly because Yilmaz is like, I'm going over there now. And everyone else goes, <laughs> okay, yeah, cool. And then just like figures it out on the fly. It's really funny. But nice. that PSG game I watched a couple of weeks ago where Lil somehow lost, Yilmaz was playing left wing. I mean, he wasn't, but he, he was. <laughs> Every time I talk about PSG, it seems to be, how did PSG win that game? I don't um, know. But that's what happens when you put really, really good players in, in the side, I think. Um, and yeah. and that's that's literally it. But you're you're so right. All the, the Jonathans as a whole, you know, the, the front three of the Jonathans <laughs> just running around in front of, uh, of Yulmaz seems like a real good, like, tally as a, as yeah. a whole and and look on the whole we we know that Lille have not been very good this year they they really haven't they've been they've flattered to deceive somehow I mean as we record this they're still top of their Champions League group which makes me laugh because they played once well in the Champions yeah. League that, that game been, against, uh, against Sevilla yeah, they've been average in league. They've been they've been okay. It's just obviously as as defending champions, it's been a bit de- a bit been a bit deflating. Expect I'd a wee say. bit more, right? Yeah. Uh, just for the record, in case it didn't come across, I'm a huge fan of Burak Yilmaz. Like, I really like oh, it. It did, He's great it, fun it did to watch. come across. It did come across okay. in that state. I think Sam. So uh, it's good to know okay. that. Good. You know, we're all we're all we're all here for Yilmaz wandering <laughs> around behind the front three and just doing what he wants. Um, look, if that's the if that's the role they're going to give him, then uh, you know what, respect, respect. Yep. Who's next? Yep. So this is now up to number one. This is our final player. And this is, I think, one of the most bizarre players in the game right now. And it's Denzel Dumfries, who is technically a right back or right wing back, but does pretty much none of that. Um, there, there doesn't appear to be any 
semblance of normality to anything he does. And what we saw at the Euros has carried on at Inter Milan. He's playing right wing back, but really, really, he's playing as a striker. Or that's what he's decided anyway. Because when the ball is deep or on the left and his team are in possession, he makes runs in behind the defence from right wing back. He's trying to chase off the shoulder. He's looking for a ball to chase down. And then when you get a bit higher up, he's crashing in from the right-hand side. He's becoming a wide target man. He's pushing into the box. He's winning headers. He's a target for crosses. He's knocking the ball back across goal. Everything he does from an offensive standpoint is something I would expect from either Mario Mandzukic or Jamie Vardy. And yet, we are talking about a wing-back. And to be honest, he's so unconventional that I don't think Simone Inzaghi has any idea what to do with him. He, he just hasn't got to grips with him Anyone has any idea all. what to do with him. Frank de Boer knew what to do with him. <laughs> well, that's the, he's the only player in the world that Frank de Boer knew what to do with, so that's good. Um, yeah, that's a good start, him. isn't it? But Dun- <laughs> exactly. obviously Dumfries joined Inter in the summer. He's only made five starts for the club. He's made 10 sub-appearances. He mostly comes on when either the game is dusted and very safe or it's kitchen sink time because that's basically what he represents as, as a presence crashing into the box and Zaggy just hasn't figured him out like Inter just don't know what to I think they're like what the hell this guy is a right wing back are you sure like he's basically had his spot nicked by Matteo Damian who's good and solid but like it's Matteo Damian Dumfries we all expected to be in the picture here and playing a, a pretty important role for Inter Milan this, this season, particularly post-Hakimi, who also just did whatever the hell he wanted. And yet, I don't think anyone has a real grip on exactly what to do with Dumfries because he's so bizarre in the way he plays his role. I mean, he's great fun and he's a good player, but they just need to get on his level and no one's there. It's a, it's interesting that he's become the Inter Milan version or the Dutch, if you will, Andrea Patania. Um, that is not ex- <laughs> what I expected from Denzel Dumfries in his debut season. But I was going to ask about that kind of filling the Hakimi void, right? That because that was the, the like the spot he was meant to take. It was the how do you solve a problem like not having Akraf Hakimi anymore? And mm. they brought Dumfries in, and we were like. Yeah, yeah, I mean, fair enough. If you if you're gonna buy a, a a low key kind of version of of Hakimi, this seems like the player. And then Inzaghi went, well, not my right back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it did make some sense. I was quite I was quite pleased to see the deal. I was I was just hoping that Dumfries would get to go and play as a wing back rather than a fullback. Um, he was pretty good as a fullback for PSV whenever I saw him, but his obvious inclination to to power in behind the line and things like that, it was. It would it would suit him to play wing back. It hasn't really happened yet for him. Um, it might just be an adaption thing. It might be that Conte would have been much more uh, willing to use him as like an unleashed wing back, just running up and down like he did with Hakimi, because he made special preservations with with the way Skriniar played in order to make that work. It might just be that Inzaghi isn't as carefree with the way he wants to use those players. It might just be that he needs a bit of time. I don't know. But at the moment, Dumfries is is really confusing me. I keep seeing him on the bench and going, you should be in the team. But then he comes on. I'm like, ah, yeah, no, I, I know why you're on the bench. Like this you're doesn't really no, impact player as well. No, yeah. No one really knows what you're going to do. Like it's, it's tough. It's difficult. It's weird. That's why he's, it's why he's number one. He perplexes me weekly. No, I think it's a really intriguing one, Simon. And you're absolutely spot on. Is that when he when he joined this Inzaghi side? And look, we looked at it and we looked at how 
Inter had to deal with this kind of post-Conte period, right? And they went, okay, what we're going to do is bring in people who are a bit like everyone else we had before. And uh, <laughs> so obviously yeah. they brought in Zaghi in, who's a bit like Conte light, right? And then they brought Dzeko in to replace that, uh, the well, to replace Lukaku, but obviously to fill the gap there. They brought Joaquin Correa in as well. And between them, they seem to be filling the gap. And then they brought Dumfries in and they were like, right, okay, we've sorted out the post-Hakimi malaise we're going to have on that right-hand side. So it all made sense on paper, right? Like that's the key element here. It you know, could still paper, make sense. Everything in the made sense. It, it oh, could yeah, still absolutely. make sense. I'm not writing him off, but it is intriguing to see him not coming on and then literally being used as the Batania. <laughs> you know, Napoli, Napoli, when they need to throw like everything at a team, they bring on Andrea Britannia and just wacky loads of crosses. And I was into the same, you know, it's nil nil, it's 70 minutes. Uh, bring on Dumfries and just whack crosses at him from the left hand side. You're like, well, <laughs> you know, hope for the best. Well, but, they got I a mean, very good crosser in Federico Di Marco, who's, uh, who's exactly. a, a kind of a, new, a newer face to the team this year. So, you know, as a dynamic. It, he, was on it, he was on loan a couple of years back, wasn't he? So he, he's, he's been at Inter for a while, but he's been sort of kicking around everywhere else that they could possibly send him. Yeah, yeah. He's finally managed to nail down a bit of a spot. And, uh, you know, DeMarco crossing to uh, to Dumfries. It's not the worst tactic in the world. It's, it really isn't. I just don't think it's like um, when Simone Zaghi draws up his, his, his strategy on his whiteboard. I don't think that's really where he's hoping to go with it. Only 80 minutes plus. That's, a, yeah. that's how you know yeah. it's starting to be a, a late option. Well, thank you very yeah. much, Sam. It was a, a lovely five. Uh, we've, we've got through a lot of, well, we've got through a lot of Europe there, which is what I really enjoy when we do these rankings properly. Um, and look, let's get on to our Melon of the Week and, of course, the gibberish rankings. Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast, where it's time for mine and everybody else's favourite part of every single week. Dean Jones, the floor is yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Patrick Gunnarsson. Yes, it's another <laughs> goalkeeper. It's another goalkeeper, but this isn't, this isn't for reasons that I've ever had before. So here we go. Most people will not know who this guy is or anything about him unless you've seen the viral videos going around. Look, in Norway at the weekend, uh, Gunnarsson, he's the goalkeeper of Viking FK, and he basically got his own teammate sent off. It was the dying seconds of the game, and he became embroiled in an altercation with David Brekalo, who was a centre-back on his own team. Now, they were winning the game at this point. They're 3-2 up. It's the dying seconds. But Brekalo seemed to really take offence to the fact that Gunnarsson, who, by the way, is on loan from Brentford, um, he was he was screaming in the, in the face of his own players and particularly Brekalo, shouting at them all in his own penalty box. Uh, Brekalo didn't seem to really like whatever it was he was saying. Maybe he just doesn't like being shouted at. So he he kind of confronts him. He, he pushes his arms into his chest, first of all, and then as he's going to go away, nope, he, he goes back and, and he gives him another shove. Obviously not wise. But Gunnarsson, his own goalkeeper, goes down like he's punched him in the face. Like he's literally, he grabs his face, he falls to the ground, just acting like Neymar. Um, And the ref walks over to Brekalo, shows him a red card. Gunnarsson just gets up and carries on. (laughs) What? What What are they doing? Like, I haven't seen anything like this since Kieran Dyer and Lee Bowyer had a fight uh, when they both played for Newcastle. At least they really fancied having an actual go at each other Yeah, they they really went for it. Now, look, I I don't believe that this is the cause of this. I reckon something else has gone. Maybe he's like, 
eaten off his his plate at lunch or something <laughs> the days leading up to this. There's Part something that's clear. Space, isn't he? Yeah, there's something about this. Um, but yeah, look, Brecklow obviously he's a melon himself for like going and pushing his own goalkeeper, especially as you're in like the 94th minute of the game at this point. But Gunnarsson is an absolute melon for embellishing this moment and getting his own teammates sent off. Melon. This is very one. strange, very silly. There's loads admit, this week, you know, guys, wasn't there? You've there got was loads. so yeah, many gone, this week. You've gone in a different direction. I really thought that Daniel Sturridge's name was going to come up here uh, after some suggestions that he um, felt basically unable to play after a, to, uh, an away game in Australia because he'd just done a four-hour flight. Um, yeah, that, which, there was a lot of talk about this, wasn't there? Um, I was going to actually do Daniel Sturridge for this. As you say, he, he was flying to an away game Look, he's, he's been brought in to bring in crowds to A-League and kind of bring exposure to the league and all the rest of it. But we no one was, really, we should, we no one was sure clear. about how dedicated he would be to it. And when he's not, he's taking the flight, but not actually playing in the game. And you hear that it's because he was tired after a four-hour flight. It's not great. But just before we were going to record this, uh, Starrow just put out a statement saying, that's not true. I would never do that. And, you know, other people at the club have said, no, that's not true. Of course he would play if he could. Um, he was in quarantine for two weeks. And so he's behind on his training and all the rest of it. So I don't, do I buy it? Not really, but I can't really make him another of the week if the, Fair enough. he's put up an argument that I can't prove uh, is true. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But there Wait, were a few, seven, weren't there? There's seven other candidates, seven. which is uh, which is impressive, right? Um, I mean, I, I, I would like to put in a few names. Ben Foster uh, got no, got injured playing in the hashtag United 48 hour game, which was massive and for a good cause, um, but then couldn't play at the weekend because he got injured playing in a five-a-side tournament with his YouTube mates. Um, that's up there. Uh, he knows what it. the future is though doesn't he he knows his football career is he's winding smart, down YouTube is important to him uh, but you know still getting injured for a huge game that Watford then lost uh, yeah, by fair. playing in a in a five-a-side tournament not great vibes um, his teammate uh, and fellow YouTuber William Chooster Kong for just oh god ducking <laughs> when, the ball, when the ball came his way and letting James Madison score um, I'm not sure I've seen anything ever like it was almost I like I watched it I, w- I watched it right <laughs> and I was like it was literally like Madison well leave it <laughs> and he he went yeah yeah thanks very much but no words seemed to exit no, James yeah. Madison's you get a yellow or red card now if you do that don't you if you shout leave it Harry, and Arta, got, Harry Arta got booked once for that didn't he yeah. it used to be fun at school though you shout leave it and the other team and the bloke just leaves it and you score because that's just in the playground Um, the entire Nashville team uh, yeah that's the worst shout. penalty shootout I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, they missed yeah. all four in their game against Philadelphia Union. Um, uh, honestly, Dean, uh, Sam, you were all we were all there for the Fulham Leeds game earlier this season in the Carabao Cup, and I thought that was the worst penalty shoot I'd ever seen. Uh, turns out Nashville went. We'd like to one up that. Thank you very much, <laughs> and, uh, and missed all four of their penalties. So that that's one. Uh, Matt Ritchie, Sam, I know you're a big fan oh, of setting geez. up Gabriel Martinelli. <laughs> Everyone's praising Tommy Asus for the assist. He didn't create the goal. Matt Ritchie did because he can't hold an offside line. And not just can't hold an offside line, he's like four yards deeper than the rest of his line for like four or five seconds. This was madness. I couldn't believe it. I wonder what Newcastle would look like with actual fullbacks. Yeah, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Davison, Sam. In, oh. in, well, there's, two. there's two from the uh, from the Libertadores final. Davison uh, fell over from a referee. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's got very sensitive kidneys. I don't know what you're on about. 
Um, and then Andreas Pereira, who a lot of you will see. So Jorginho was the next actual person on my list for that touch, right? And as I called him on Monday's Patreon pod, Giorgiono. Um, But, it, you know, it, it, Andreas Pereira did it first, right? Pereira. Jorginho was just copying. It's just, yeah, Pereira is the standard setter here. Exactly. So there you go. Seven, seven alternate options for you, Dean. Um, yeah, I mean, very good. This week. There's a lot of madness going on, yeah. But I think pushing your going goalkeeper twice and he pretends he's been punched in the face that you get sent <laughs> off is, is the winner. Uh, I thought you were uh-huh. going to give it to Brekelo. <laughs> no, because like, I get that. Like you've seen that happen before. You haven't seen a goalkeeper fade injury and get his own mate sent off. I don't know what happened after. He probably did punch him after. Well, we saw, we had a Mel in the Week contender a couple of weeks back in Northern Ireland where a goalkeeper genuinely punched his teammate in the face. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. Hmm. That sounds like some strange bird. Is the uh, I mean, gibberish I siren running out of battery or something? Do we need to the recharge those double A's? Needs to be recharged. The battery. Yeah, are the gibberish siren had a night out. out last night. It sounds like. Uh, look, I couldn't possibly comment on uh, on anything like that. But uh, it's time. For Let's the give you a shout out, Fulhamish boys. You went you went to your awards ceremony last night, didn't you, Jack? And um, you didn't win, but you're there. You're in the conversation, and uh, it was you'll be there fan, every year. It was a fan led vote, right? And there is no chance. Ever. Look, look, I love the Anfield rap more than anything else. They didn't win. Uh, Arscast win uh, one, but oh no, Ask Blog won. But you know, we're never going to be in a fan led vote. Liverpool or Arsenal because they have like 20 times the amount of fans that Fulhamish do <laughs> or, yeah. or the Fulham, Fulham do full stop like right yeah. so you know we're never going to win those awards if they're fan led um, they should be done by a panel but you know who, who am I to who am I, I to question the will of the people should. right and so, the panel should yeah. be us three yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely <laughs> correct, Sam. It should be. Um, absolutely, we had a great time, great, great night out sat on the table with the ramble. It was, um, it was a lot of fun. So, shouts out everybody, um, Dean. But you are doing our gibberish this week. I am. Yeah, I mean, Sam. To be fair, that was quite hard work. The ranking he had today, so I don't mind taking it. And I actually, funny enough, I'd drawn one up last night just in case because something particular happened, and I was like, okay, that's a good thing to lead this. Um, anyway, so it's the things that wind me up at the moment oh we're going number peter griffin things that grind my gears on yes, the proper on the old man station. stuff this is proper yeah. old man stuff to be honest uh three is f- free trials on apps these annoy me because i i never remember to cancel them mm. um and that's completely on me that i don't believe i'm the only person in the world that's happened to but in the last couple of weeks Ex- express vpn have got me pepper pigs got me um worst of all the washington post have absolutely rinsed us <laughs> Dur- during lockdown last year, Taylor signed up t- to the Washington Post because it was look, it was a good place for, for COVID news that was reliable and genuinely they're very good journalism across the board anyway. And it was it felt nice to be taking a view away from the UK and listening to the BBC or Sky and you know the bias that goes either way in the reporting. So yeah, we did that, and uh, obviously she forgot to cancel it last week. A hundred and twenty pound came out of her account. She's like, uh, can you transfer me some money just for the last few days of the month? I'm like, why? Uh, yeah, this this just came out. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. And of course, I mean, I think you can appeal it if it's in, in like a few days or something, but like... 
You Here can we be are. Bothered. We've got another year's uh, another year's subscription to the Washington Post. I make sure I read that paper inside out every single day. And make sure I get my value out of that. <laughs> so um, so doesn't. This is why Dean can't contribute to your main ranking, Sam. He's too busy yeah. reading about what's happened to the NBA last night. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I was reading about MLB last week. Big transfer just got on with, to the Mets. Um, but also, YouTube got me as well because is this I'm so. No, this is the same one. This is the same one. But YouTube got me in a different way because Dylan, like, obviously, like, watches YouTube on my phone and it gets so annoying. Keep going over and clicking the skip ad button because he's like, Dad, it's gone off. It's like, you know what to do. Press the button. Um, anyway, won't do it. So keep going over. And I was like, <sighs> it said, like, obviously, you can get the free trial for a month or whatever. And it did say it on the screen and I didn't, I wasn't paying attention. Anyway, I did it, put my face in the thing and it all went through. Um, I really didn't pay attention. Next thing I know, twenty two ninety nine has gone out of my account for a month subscription to YouTube. Some sort of, no, they don't just sign you up. They sign you up to the highest tier membership that includes the music, the family membership. I could have like, if you two want YouTube for the next couple of weeks, I've got about seven memberships to hand out. I'm paying twenty two ninety nine a month for it. Put them in Absolute the description joke. of the pod. <laughs> yeah, actually, just before we started recording, I went on and I've I've cancelled that. That is not coming out ever again. I'm not paying $22.99 a month for YouTube. You could have done this entire gibberish on just things you signed up for by accident. I could have, mate. I could have. Number two, though, the thing that winds me up is dragging out Netflix series. So mm. the things that have really got me recently are two shows, which I've really enjoyed, Squid Game and Made. Two very different shows, but I did enjoy both. Um Squid Game's even being talked about. Well, not being talked about. It's going to happen. A second season is coming. Don't do it. Leave it. The whole idea was based on this premise. Just leave it. It's fine. In fact, it was two episodes too long. There was no need for Squid Game to have nine episodes. I actually fast-forwarded through one of them because I was like, I don't care about your subplots, your obscure characters. I haven't got time for this. Like, I've got, I'm dealing with kids. I've got a job. <laughs> I've got a load of football to watch. Don't show me all this other stuff. Just show me the, show me the games. Show me the, what the, these, these games and who's going to get shot and how they're going to get killed. Um, that's what I wanted to know. Same with Maid. I've just watched it. 10 episodes. The storyline's really good. The acting is brilliant. Made is, it's it's quite deep. It's about a girl um, who's in like um, a relationship and domestic violence is involved and she has to go into a shelter with a child. And it's all about the complexities that people face in that situation of like, being part of the system, right, and getting out, getting yourself out of it, and getting back to a, to a level playing field, and being able to get on with your life. And there's there's loads of levels to it, and it's it's a really good story, though. But there's so much of it that feels unnecessary, and so many characters I just don't care about. Like, yeah, again, fast forwarded through like episode eight or something because I was like, nothing's happening here. I'll just press play when I can see a bit that I want, which is the main characters. And I just did that really annoys me anyway. Yeah. So stop dragging out these Netflix series, just draw a line under it when it's good. Yeah. The Squid Game one was really annoying because they, there was a whole episode at the end, which is basically dedicated to what looked like setting up a sequel series, which again, exactly. It it doesn't, it doesn't need it. Like sometimes it's a one and done. Sometimes it's a masterpiece. People get greedy and and the end is a waste of an episode, but don't, don't ruin, don't produce a second series that is subpar just because you want more money. Yeah, I hated the ending. I, I really did. I mean, look, you can't blame them. 
for, for no, but you know what? So much pee, and then be like, okay, cool. We need to make we need to make another one. But like, look, the whole thing about Squid Game, right? That struck me was, is it just a rubbish battle royale? Mm. I don't know. I don't even know what that is. So Can't, battle royale uh... was. Uh, uh, I would say it maybe came out in like 2000. It was a Japanese film about everyone going to an island and it was basically the only per- one person would survive, right? It was... Um, yeah, it, it was It was a bit... It's, things. There's elements of that, but you're, it's not It's not strictly player versus player. It's kind of player versus player versus system in Squid Game. You're, you're mostly battling tasks mm. from the system. I'm not going to watch than, it because it sounds scary, but um, we're... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Battle Royale is mostly like, let's all shoot each other with bow and arrows. Yeah, um, yeah. Battle, this, Royale, Battle Royale wasn't scary because it was so comically bad. Squid Game isn't scary. It's just a bit weird and There's, gross, a, bit, there's a moment in it which is pretty... I think I stared at the wall for 15 minutes in silence after one of the episodes. Yeah, yeah. I think once you're a parent, you're just immune to this kind of stuff. Anyway, at number one, the thing that winds me up the most in the world right now is allowing cookies on websites. Just let me in your website. Just let me put a set. Just put a setting on my phone, and I'll say, yeah, whatever they want to know, just let them do it. Now, I know everyone around the world doesn't actually have this. Um, it was, a, I think, it was a thing brought in by the EU which basically was a, a data issue and they, they would need to ask for our permission before um, they collect certain information, like how long we've been on websites, like what's in our shopping basket, what are our habits, basically collecting all this stuff from it. I don't care. You could do whatever you want from me. Like all I'm doing is going on like a football website to find something out probably. Like, like just an example, I've just thought, right, I'm going to type in a website I've never been on. So I've typed in brentfordfc.com on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Straight away, it's come up. Yeah, you've this given web- them a hit. You've given them a <laughs> Yeah, no, well, not yet. I don't know if it counts if I haven't pressed this green button. This website uses cookies. By, cl- by clicking accept all cookies, you agree to the storing of cookies on your device to enhance site navigation. It doesn't enhance any site navigation. It ruins my experience. I'm not coming back. Definitely not coming back to this one. Then you have to click the green button, accept all cookies. But what I've noticed, it doesn't even store this information anyway. If I go back to brentfordfc.com next week, I'll have to go for all this again anyway. I don't know why. It's supposed to store it on my computer. It doesn't do it. Good news. I got so annoyed by this last night. I went digging to find out if we had any chance of getting rid of this stupid system because it just seems like box ticking and it doesn't, surely this doesn't work. Like nobody cares about this stuff. Now we're not in the EU. Surely it's not going to carry on. And it's not. We're stopping this. We're going to find a better way to, for people to deal with this. And hopefully in the near future, I'm not going to have to press this green box every single time. This stupid banner pops up on every website I go on and my life will be so much better. Well, there you have so, it, ladies and gentlemen. So you're, the good you're, news get, is you're getting you annoyed. 50 quid, you have to pay 50 quid to phone home from Italy, but the good news is the Dean won't have to worry about the cookies box. <laughs> yeah. The, um, obviously, it's just one box, and you just click accept all, and it's done. And it is annoying over and over again, but it is just one box. I was moaning about this myself, and Rachel was like, well, uh, you're, I watched Rachel access a website the other day and she goes on and rather than just go with accept all she clicks the button that's like customize pick which bits of data that you can store because there's another button that you can go in and be very specific know, yeah. about which and she goes and does that. that she does that on every oh website oh my god yeah, but only a woman would do that more than all of us <laughs> <laughs> no no man in the world has ever done that <laughs> every man is like nah get me off get off my screen but she's <laughs> yeah. sensible yeah I mean that that is probably what you're supposed that's to do that's what you're supposed I to could, do that is the key I, 
But I don't care. Look, go through my computer if you want. I'll give you my password. Just let me read your website. I don't care. I've got <laughs> I no just money want to in see my bank. You can't website. Take my identity. Take the 20 quid that's in my bank. Do whatever you want. Like, <laughs> just, just let me read the Brentford team news. <laughs> well, anyway, well, lads, that's all I've they got. Are, they're the things that the, the wind Dean Jones up. You know, we, uh, that did actually look, wind me up, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. it did. You were, you were livid. Absolutely oh, livid. When we have our website, can we just not have that? I'm not sure uh, we have a I choice, think, actually. <laughs> we, might, we, might, we might have to, mate. <laughs> wait until they wait until wait they start until this new thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dean, exactly. what do you think of our website? Sorry. Don't know, mate. No, but never been on it. Never uh, been on it. <laughs> they didn't want to accept the cookies. Um, <laughs> the uh, thing is, I love actual cookies. There we have it. There we have it, ladies and gentlemen. Right, it is probably time to call this a day. And all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much, Sam Ty. Wonderful ranking today. Well done, Samuel. Cheers, buddy. I really appreciated it. It was it was it was good work. Really good work. I like it when you do good stuff. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Uh, thank you very much to our transfer guru, Dean Jones. Cheers, man. Very very good on the old uh, on the old gibberish. So well done. Oh, thanks. New skill. Yeah. What a great, what a great episode this has been. What so this is what happens again when you get older. You have more to moan about. So I'm actually quite good at these. <laughs> Here he is. He's going to be at the back of the, the stand shouting about stuff in a, in a couple of weeks. You never even know. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Rags FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever. We'll see you next week. Take it easy. Peace.